continue unmuted. Line two. Are we there? Thank you so much, Gail. I appreciate it. You know, I'm always so thankful and amazed every time I even get to stand here. Because I shouldn't even be alive, really. And I don't exaggerate when I say that. It's really the truth. And God is so good. Today we're celebrating the incarnation, the coming of Jesus to rescue and redeem and save and restore and make all things new. And he did it for me and he's doing it for you. And there's a world out there that he's going to do it for as we bear his grace to them and we carry his message to them. Today we're going to begin a new series, Inside Out. It's, uh, you can probably guess, it has to do with the in, right? Uh, for the next several weeks, Pastor Chris, uh, starting today with me and then later, Pastor Chris and I will be sharing the idea of reaching out to the outsider and to bring them in. Mary and Joseph didn't find room in the inn, but there's room in the church and there's room in Christ for everybody. Advent is here. Look around. We've got trees. It's the holiday season. I got through my first holiday Thanksgiving just a few days ago. I did discover to my dismay as I went to my closet to get my fat pants that I've been wearing my fat pants as my everyday walking around pants. <laughs> for the last several months, so I need to go out and get some, like, another size. I'm, I've reached that point of either go that way or maybe do something a little different. Um, but it is the season. It's a season of festivities. It's a season of welcome. Christmas season is upon us. And our series, Inside Out, if we could look at the next slide, yeah. As we know from the story from the Gospel of Luke, Mary and Joseph were turned away from the inn. They were unwelcome, and there was no room for them. They were outsiders. And I think that we find more than anything else this year that we become more divided as a society, even as a church. I've never seen the lines drawn, the barricades up, the barbed wire set, and there's no trespassing signs. Like we're walking around with them because it's become kind of tribal, us and them. The in, the out, the good, the bad, the forces of good, the forces of evil. And there's some reality to that. Let's not be deceived in any way. There is light and dark, absolutely. But even those that dwell in the dark, we know behind them are deception, forces of, in the heavenly realms. It's not flesh and blood that we're fighting with. Every person that's walking in darkness is kidnapped royalty that Jesus is beckoning into his kingdom. But we put these no trespassing signs up to protect ourselves and to keep others out. So I've only been on Facebook for a few months, but for some reason I keep getting these no trespassing memes. I don't know why. They seem to be really popular. One of them was uh, no trespassing. Due to a rise in ammunition costs, we will no longer be firing a warning shot. Or no trespassing. We're running out of space to bury the bodies. Yeah, it's kind of morbid. Or no trespassing, violators will be shot and survivors will be shot again. 
I mean, there's, there's, it's funny, but there's a serious tone to this. They say that gun shops are being, having a run on them. People buying ammunition where they can. People buying guns where they can. People getting security systems. There's a, there's a self-protection. There's a keep out. And as much as that's natural in these times, we want to do something different. Jesus invites everyone in. It's the mission of the church to have redemption for all of creation. And there are no outsiders. There is no one outside. Only insiders who haven't joined the family yet. The church is the greatest leveler that there is. And everyone is invited to the feast. We see in Matthew 22, 9, it says, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. In Luke 14, 13, it says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. In Revelation 7, 9, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. There's a mission to restore everything that was lost. And we are the ones that bear that mission. We're the ones with the marching orders. We're not staying inside with our group. We're going out to the lame, to those on the highways and the byways, and we're compelling them to come in. And as silly as a little dance to rocking around the Christmas tree may be on, September, on, on December 19th in the square, our heart is to reach out the grace of Christ. We want people to know that the darkness will pass away, and the light of life will come. So Christmas is an opportunity. This is a chance for us to follow the directions of our Savior and to beckon those from the outside, those on the margins, those that are lost and wandering. Come to the feast. There's plenty of room in the inn. And I wonder, has 2020 kind of been a blessing in disguise? You know, for me... I didn't reach out to Jesus until my life was pretty much in the ash heap, till I was afraid, till I was depressed, till I was anxious, till I was isolated, till I was helpless and broken. I'd hit the bottom, and all there was was to look up, and I saw the hand of God reach out to me. And there are people, this year, if, 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 if this isn't the time when, as Pastor Chris said, Everybody's had a blue Christmas this year. Everybody's had a loss. Everybody's had a change. Everybody's had some matters of the heart that have risen to the surface that have shaken our sense of ourselves. And this may be the time when people are ready to breathe the fresh air again. They're ready to have their fears calmed. They're ready to have peace. Where they would have rejected the message outright before, they may be willing to hear it. Are we willing to give it? Are we willing to reach out? Are we going to bear that mission? Are we going to bear that message for the world? People need to breathe freely again. Even the most jaded person may be willing to give Jesus a chance again. We have to embrace the questioning, embrace the doubt. Let's not be afraid of it. If I tell somebody, boy, I had a great time at church, I was so blessed, 
and they say to me, well, that's good for you, or bless your heart, or they don't respond. That's apathy, right? That's the big enemy, when people couldn't care, when they're not even engaged. But if somebody says to me, how can you go to church when there's all those hypocrites? How can you believe in a God of love when there's so much suffering? I get my interest peaked then because they're engaged. Doubts, questions, even anger show that they're searching for something. They want the answer. When they ask you that question, it's not, a, it's not meant to have a fight with you. This isn't your chance to win an argument. This is your chance to cast your net and pull in the, the, the fish into the boat. These are people on the edge. They're right there. If you ask the Spirit to see with spiritual eyes, they're ready. Don't turn away. Don't believe that they've shut the door because they haven't. And this is our chance to actually explore some of this. This is exciting. God's going to go with us. The Holy Spirit's going to guide us. He's going to fill your mouth. He's going to fill your heart. He's going to direct you to those people. And we're going to see revival. I believe we're going to see revival. But the two questions, the two big questions of the doubting world, the two big questions. The first one is, who is Jesus really? We need to be prepared to answer that question. Who is he? There's so, many, so much information about him, so many stories about him, so many accounts about him. But who is he really? How do we get to the meat of what this season means about Emmanuel, God with us, coming to this earth? to redeem everything. And the second question is, okay, if I know who Jesus is, what does it have to do with me? How do I fit into that story? So we look at these uh, terms, and we've got things like Son of God, Son of Man, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord, Savior, Everlasting Father, Wonderful Counselor. He's got all these titles and we see these titles spread through the scriptures. But what does it really mean? What do these words mean? How can we help not only ourselves grasp the enormity of it? Because it's big. And we've heard this story our whole lives. So somehow maybe it's just noise in our ears. And I pray that today we think about what this means. Who Jesus is. What that means to us. What that means to the world. What that means to all of creation. What does it all mean? When we look at the Christmas stories, the most fanciful Christmas stories, the, most, uh, the ones that we display on the stage during Christmas, we've got Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, and we've got the wise men, and we heard the wonderful story of Anna at the temple, right? We know these stories, and they make great pageantry, and they show us an aspect of the glory of things. But they still don't clearly illustrate who Jesus is as well as John chapter 1. I would like for all of us to repeat this scripture. I want this to be in your heart in a deep way. I want this to be something we meditate on for this entire week. This should be our foundation this week. So if you'll just read this with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. 
the God of the universe became a man. Now why that happened, we'll get to in part two. But let's ponder the implications of what this means. The all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe. And it says right here, the Word was the creator. When we talk about creator God, we're talking about Jesus who became flesh. He became one of us. Not just God with us, God as us. With the same flesh and blood and bone that we have. The same God whose train of his robe filled the temple and brought Isaiah to his knees in terror, wrapped himself in muscle and bone and blood and sinew. The sinless, perfect, merciful embodiment of love stepped into human history. A history that's permeated and full and dark with sin, death, torment, and tears stepped into our world and became one of us with the beating heart of a human being, with human blood flowing through human veins and oxygen being processed through human lungs. He became truly one of us. The only human being, because he truly was human, who had known heaven. Jesus spent all eternity in heaven with perfect fellowship, perfect communion with the Father and the Spirit. We can't imagine heaven, but imagine it's free of sin, it's free of darkness, it's free of anger, it's free of tension, it's free of chaos, it's perfection. That same God came down and became one of us. And he came down into enemy territory, a world controlled by sin, with a humanity captured and held for ransom, broken in dungeons, held captive. As I said, kidnapped royalty. The shock of it, imagine, must have been cataclysmic for Jesus to go from perfection to absolute chaos. In every religion or philosophy in the world, humans grasp at the divine We search for God, we call for God, we beg for his favor, we approach on bended knee, we do all kinds of rituals to please him. But in Jesus, and this is unique of all philosophies and religions, God came to us. God reached down to us because we're helpless and broken and bound. We can't go to him, it's impossible, but he came to us. He invaded our darkness and our blindness and our bondage with his light, with his love, with his power, wrapped in full humanity. It's a mystery. Jesus isn't half man and half God. He's not a demigod. Somehow the equation doesn't fit our logic. One being is 200%. 100% human and 100% God. Do we understand that? No. And I'll tell you what. A God that I can fully understand is probably not God. The mystery and the majesty makes me believe it all the more. Because it's way beyond what we can ever imagine. God's plan for all of redemption. But he came here wrapped in full humanity. God came to us. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Okay, so we understand this. God came to us. He had work to do, but what does that have to do with me? Now, again, as we're talking about that, I want you to imagine that you're having a conversation with someone that right now may be on the outside, 
They don't understand what the incarnation means. They don't understand what it has to do with them. So let's think about how we're going to communicate this idea. And the only way to do it is to start at the beginning. We can't take Christmas out of context. The Christmas story is beautiful. It has a lot of pageantry. It's amazing. It's nostalgic. But the significance of it only makes sense in the grand sweep of human history. Jesus invades history as a fulfillment of that history. And that history began thousands and thousands of years before. Jesus only makes sense when we see ourselves and humanity and creation in the nativity story. So let's go back to the beginning. And I promise I'm not going to go on and read the whole Bible to you, right? But we got to start where we got to start. And that's at the beginning. God's beautiful creation. God's perfect world. He took with great care a place for us to inhabit because he's love. He wants to provide for our every need. He wanted to have fellowship. He wanted to give us responsibilities. He wanted intimate connection with us. And he created carefully the world we live in, the oceans, the rivers, the seas, the beautiful sky, the clouds. Every beast of the field, every plant, every fruit was created with great care, and God said it's good, and it was good. We see a glimmer of it today in our fallen world. I, I love The one thing I love about Facebook is all the beautiful pictures that I see that glorify God's creation and shows us his handiwork. He didn't have to make all the colors. He made them to give us delight for our eyes. He didn't have to give us a tongue that had taste buds that could sample all those wonderful flavors, but he did it because he loves us. He wants us to experience his goodness. And that was the world. It was good. And then he created Adam and Eve. He created our forebears. He created the first people. And what did he say about them? They're very good. When he looked at us, the sunset was beautiful. The sky was beautiful. The oceans, the seas, the flowers, the fruits, the trees, every beast of the field was good. But when he saw us, it was very, very good. His heart, it was his masterpiece. His masterpiece he took with great care to create us, each one of us. And we got to walk with God. We got to fellowship with him in the cool of the evening, right up against him. When I think about the story at the Last Supper where the Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, John, has his head on Jesus' breast, could hear his heart beat. That was God's intention for all of us. That was Adam and Eve's experience. There was nothing to separate them. They were able to be in total communion. But most importantly, we were created in the image of God. We bear his image. It said, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So what does that mean? There's a lot of discussion about what it means to be created in the image of God. But in one thing, it means that we represent God on the earth. We are his representatives. We carry his authority on the earth. He also gave man creativity. We're co-creators with God on earth to create 
uh, a world of order and peace and justice and fruitfulness and productivity. He gave us that side of himself. He created us in his relational being. Just as God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were always in communion with one another in perfect harmony, he created us with that for one another and for all of creation. There was a time when there was no fight, no conflict, only love, mutual respect, no pride, no arrogance. That was the image of God relationally. And he also obviously created us to have communion, perfect communion with him. But of course we know there was the fall. We know the story. Man chose to sin. Man chose not to believe God. Man chose to try to exalt himself above God, separate himself from God, and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And everything was lost. Everything was broken. Everything was marred. This was the great cosmic car crash. All of humanity went over the brink. And all of us were damaged because of it. Some of us worse than others, but none of us were left unscarred. And so we lost authority over the earth, and our authority was handed over to Satan. We know that Jesus referred to Satan as the God of this world. We know that when Satan offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, if he would just bow down and worship him, he had it to give. For a period of time, Satan holds the lease to this planet, and he got it from us because of our disobedience. And when Satan, the evil personified, is in control of this earth, what do we expect to happen here? Chaos, destruction. Not only that, we break our relationship with God and one another. Everything was broken. Everything was destroyed. And entering into humanity was sin and death. So the question of the skeptic or the seeker or the doubter Maybe, well, what does this have to do with me? Well, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, sin entered the DNA of humanity, of all humanity. I know we didn't ask for it, okay? A lot of people may say, well, I didn't eat the fruit. Why am I stuck in the mess? Why do I have to be broken? Why am I under judgment? I didn't do that. Well, what did you do? Because all of us have done something. Because that DNA of sin and that DNA of death is in every cell in our body. And we all have fallen in one way or the other. None of us are exempt from that. It became woven into the human experience. And it even marred the creation. It's not just humans that are broken. The planet is broken. Now the world has this issue with sin and sins. They get mixed up about what sin and sins are. We talk so much about sins. Sins can be a lot of things. It could be stealing, or it could be cheating, or it could be lying. Actions that cause pain, gossip, pride, and gluttony. And our natural response is to try to modify our behavior. And so much of the world, even the Christian world, is about behavior modification. We come to church to learn how to be good, how to please God, how to be better. But the problem is we can't do any of that because of something else, the condition of sin, the sin nature. It's the sin nature that produces the sins. We can't simply treat the symptoms. Sin is a condition, and it's an inherited condition because of the fall. 
It's like a disease. And the individual sins are like symptoms of the disease. You know, it's kind of like COVID. They've got so many different symptoms, you never have any idea whether you got it or not. You could sneeze, could be COVID. Diarrhea might be COVID. Headache might be COVID. Every possible symptom. And sin is kind of the same way. We all have the same disease of sin, but it manifests in different ways. Some people are prone to pride. Other people are prone to gluttony. Other people are prone to gossip. Some people are prone to lust. We all have different symptoms, but the root is the same. It's that condition of sin. And behavior modification never works. It's like taking an aspirin. The fever may be reduced. The pain may be lessened, but we're still, still sick and dying. It does nothing for us. The tree is diseased. The roots are in ground that is corrupted and decaying. So the fruit is going to be rotten fruit. That's our dilemma. That's our situation. And none of us are exempt. And ultimately, death is the result. Physical death leads to the grave and decay. And spiritual death leads to hell. So we have a worldwide calamity. We have murder, we have rape, we have child abuse, we have insecurity and alienation and discouragement, we have war, we have genocide, we have racism and hatred, 